Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I'm a female leader in sports. I'm the general manager of a AAA baseball team in minor league baseball, and I'm the first woman to hold this title in nearly 20 years. And I'm here with the Leadership is Female podcast to make sure that this amount of time never goes by again before another woman leads. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here to interview successful women in sport to uncover opportunity, learn the tips, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes to get you to the top faster. Join me and my guests week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. I will lead her forward because leadership is female. Today on the podcast, I welcome Lisette Carnett, player agent at Luba Sports. If you follow me or this show on Instagram, you know how big of a supporter I am of Rachel Luba and Luba Sports. Well, we all know how small this world of sports is. So when I was introduced to Emily Reza, another incredible woman I had on the podcast in episode 38, check it out if you have not listened, and Emily will blow your mind with her story and her advice about maximizing your brand equity, elevating your voice, and naming your purpose. Emily introduced me to Lisette and circle completed. Lisette is an MLB player agent building the Latino division of Luba Sports. Lisette is a powerhouse helping trailblaze for Latinas in baseball as one of the very few women agents in the MLB. She has over 30 years of experience leading negotiations on behalf of business entities and executing strategic campaigns in a variety of industries, including real estate, law, retail, nonprofits, and baseball. This background significantly shaped her expertise in post-career planning for athletes. She began her career in baseball as the executive director for Yassel Puig's Wild Horse Children's Foundation and was later promoted to director of global brand partnerships. Lisette Carnett now heads the Latin division of Luba Sports, where she continues to be the driving force behind the wild horse Yassel Puig. She was instrumental in the negotiations with Mexico for Yasiel, helping Luba Sports secure the largest ever single season contract in the Mexican League for Puig. Carnet's natural leadership abilities, which you will hear completely on this podcast, and sheer determination quickly earned her the respect of Yasiel. She has taken a different route than other agents, making sure that every aspect of the athlete's life is attended to on and off the field, introducing Puig to biometrics, physical and emotional wellness through life coaching and cultural assimilation. Her one-on-one service, attention to detail, and cultural awareness is quickly making Lisette Carnett the Latinx go-to for MLB prospects. She is building a steady roster of young Latino talent for Luba Sports and looks forward to growing Luba Sports next to its founder, Rachel Luba. So today, listen to Lisette. This girl is on fire, and this conversation has me so fired up. Lisette is an incredible woman, an incredible leader, and she has so much to share. I can't wait to share. So let's get this going. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Lisette Carnett, agent and head of Luba Sports Latin Division and executive director for the Yasiel Puig's Wild Horse Children's Foundation. So excited to have you here today. I'm so thrilled that you asked me to be here. I'm so happy that we got Oh, this is awesome. Well, 
Okay. You are an absolute superstar. Introduce yourself to the audience, please. Yeah. I, um, I'm an agent with Luba Sports. Uh, I head Luba Sports um, Latin Division, and I'm also executive director for Yasiel Peaks Wild Horse Children's Foundation, as you said. Um, I uh, run everything and anything uh, that has to do with Yasiel Puig insofar as his sports management. Um, and I handle everything Mexico right now with him. I also handle everything internationally for the Wild Horse Children's Foundation. And I am helping grow Lupa Sports along with Rachel Luba. Amazing. So let's start sort of at MLB agent. What lit the fire for you to pursue this type of career? You know, that's funny. I was just talking about that with my husband this morning. There's so many little fires that were lit in my life. Um, I, I, I actually, I've never talked about this before, but it's something that popped in, into my head and I spoke to my husband about it. And, um, and, and he said, yeah, that was actually probably one of the first times that really ma made you angry. I've always been a baseball mom that wears heels to the field. I've never been one of those, you know, soccer moms that drives a van and goes and picks up all the kids. I've always been the one with the makeup and the dress and, and the heels and, you know, in the corner trying to cheer on my son and making a lot of mistakes as I went along because I didn't even know baseball. But um, years ago, um, my son uh, was in a tournament. And it's one of these popular tournaments that boys are into in, in baseball. And um, they... Uh, <laughs> There was a, a, a something that happened on the field where there was an error that was made and it didn't it went against the rules right it was an organization it's an it still is an organization that's well known and um my son was playing in a game and it was a championship game and um there was a mistake that was made and it cost the boys the game what happened was um, I looked, took a look at the rules and I said, well, this is wrong. These rules have to be adhered to. So I started calling everybody. And, you know, I'm just that, that I'm a determined person. I started calling everybody. I started, you know, I went to LinkedIn. I started reaching out to different people. And basically I made such a ruckus that everybody within the organization found out. They didn't overturn that particular call. So the boys lost. But on top of that, one of the things that they made me do in order for my son to continue to be able to be in attendance of that, those kind of tournaments, this, yeah, this man um, made me write an apology letter. And, um, and I had to write that apology letter so that my son would continue to be able to go into the tournaments. And um, that sort of was the beginning of something for me. Um, I felt completely humiliated. I, um, it was, you know... <laughs> put in my place as a woman, absolutely had everything to do with my gender. And um, I, you know, I just put that away in a little pocket, I think of my subconscious. And it didn't really pop up until this morning, when I started really thinking about, you know, you sent me some questions. And I started thinking about like, you know, what, what was it that really made me want to become an agent? I think that that is somewhere where there, there was a seed there that was laid somewhere. Um, definitely I felt like I didn't belong in this world and I've never really thought I didn't belong anywhere. Um, I've never wanted to be told that. So it, um, it definitely laid a seed, but that's not how I got into it. How I got into it was, um, I met Yasiel Puig at a charity foundation. 
Um, he does a lot of philanthropic work. He's an amazing, he's got an amazing heart, especially for kids. This was a special needs uh, organization where we met. And when we met, um, my husband and myself speak his dialect. So it's not just Spanish, it's actually a certain part of Cuba. And we understood, you know, his, his dialect. And um, that is, that is how that worked out. Um, he eventually, about a month later, asked me to go to spring training um, and discuss, you know, more of my point of view about, you know, how I'd, I would run his very young foundation at the time. Uh, it, the foundation was being run by his agents, and he really wanted something that was more powerful, something that really impacted the community in the way that he really wanted to impact the community. And I had a lot of ideas. I mean, my background was in power brokerage. I had a lot of connections, and uh, I was able to bring him a lot of support, financial support from the connections that I had, and it just worked out from there. So that's how I met Yasiel Puig. Wow. That is okay. First of all, it's great story and horrible story about right. your interaction with, with the tournament and your son, but it's really speaks to you and that fire from within to go after your dreams, go after change, represent women in a space where there aren't a lot of women. And so, you know, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. I think that probably is going to elicit a lot of emotion from, from our listeners. And so let's talk a little bit about Yasiel Puig. You just helped him secure the largest ever single season contract in Mexico. Right. Yes. What can you share? Yes, I can. I, I can share a little bit about that. Um, Yasiel, as we know, is a powerhouse of a player. He is has been so misunderstood for so long, ever since he came from Cuba. There are so many people that, um, you know, and so many athletes that understand uh, where Yasiel is coming from. He basically was human trafficked to get here. Um, so his story is really something that is um, incredibly hard to um, listen to. Um, when you're sitting down and you're listening to the things that he went through to be able to get here, to be able to play baseball and, and to and to live out his dream. Um, and so with everything that's happening with Yasiel, you know, he's been misunderstood a lot. A lot of the things that he says, he was not really, my belief is that what happened with Yasiel Puig when he, when he got here, you know, there's a lot of Cuban players that have come. I, I don't remember the names of the players, but they have been outspoken about like the first time that they've walked into a grocery store, they they fainted. Um, because they've never seen so much food. Um, there is a story about Yasiel Puig when he got here and in the minors, um, I think he was hit like 43 days <laughs> or something like that in, in the minors. And he, um, he asked for double of everything. Um, and it wasn't because, you know, he was, you know, it's just because he's never seen that. That's not what he would eat in Cuba. Um, the food was so scarce. So um, there's so many stories about athletes coming from different countries and coming from such um, meager beginnings um, that you you really it really breaks your heart to really think that this is this is the way that it happened. But then you put Yasiel Puig in a situation where you make him a superstar. You throw him in the big the biggest city to be a superstar, right in Hollywood in Los Angeles, and uh, you give him a lot of money, and then uh, you think everything's going to work out, and it's not the way that it works. Um, these athletes have to, they, you know, the athletes are even athletes that are from here that have been through the farm system here that have been used to, you know, the baseball rules and have grown up with Little League. Um, they have so, so many years of indoctrination within the baseball world. 
you it's it's such a different story when you bring in an athlete from another country who is used to playing with completely set of, different set of rules and who have to adapt to play the game in their country because they don't have either a glove or they they're playing with you know balls that are made out of rocks you know in a sock tied up and with tape I mean, this is this is the reality. That's how Riasiel Puig was raised. So it's a really different, it was a culture shock. And one of my biggest, um, the point that I really always wanted to make with people is Yasiel was not culturally acclimated correctly. I believe that, you know, I think that they, you know, they, they, they did put him obviously with men that were, you know, from here, I think that his, uh, the, the, the person that hit was his cultural assimilator was from New Mexico, it's not the same culture. Um, so I think that that's a really big, important part. If you're going to bring in an athlete from another country, it's really important that they have somebody that they can connect with, somebody that they, that culturally understands them, that uh, knows where they've been, that understands where they've been, and that knows how to get them to cross over to America, not just by land, but also in mind and spirit, um, socially, they are so different um, in the in so far as the way that we are, that all of these things have to really be looked at. And also, forget the fact that these, these uh, athletes have lived uh, such a difficult life in their own homes. It's important to also, hey, how's their mindset? Are they okay psychologically? Have they, do they need to be nurtured in any way? Um, that's super important. And I think it's because I'm a mom um, that I, it just comes natural to me. And I see things that, you know, you know, how we attend to our husbands or how we attend to, you know, and I know I'm old school when I said, oh my God, so many people are going to get angry that I just said that. But I was raised, you know, in a different generation where we take, you know, we take care of everyone. We take care of, I still serve my husband. People freak out. Like, they're like, oh, why are you serving him his buffet? It's a buffet life. But that's just from the generation that I come, that I come from. And I love it. I happen to love the fact. Now I can scream louder than he can and he won't get into a fight with me because I'll win. But, you know, I still like that. That's a part of me. That's that, that is just a nurturing part of me that I think that is so necessary um, when you are representing someone, anyone, you know, you need to be able to be empathetic. You need to be able to be in their shoes. And, um, I think that that's why, uh, I've grown into this position, you know, because what ended up happening is little by little as his director of his foundation, I was, um, promoted to, uh, to represent his global brand from there. Um, uh, I, just because he saw the way that I worked, my work ethic, uh, I understood him. I understood everything he was telling me. And I, I was able to execute because I understood what he was telling me. I, I knew where he was coming from. And that was that connection was very important. Um, little by little, he started asking me to do things that was meant for his agent, you know, throughout the years. So he would ask me because if he would ask his agent, you know, there was some sort of maybe a breakdown in communication. And it was just faster if he could just go straight to me and I can, you know, make that happen for him. So when it came time, um, and obviously I, I saw what Rachel was doing with Trevor. Uh, I saw it was a young girl and that she had a different mindset when it, come, when it came to uh, uh, players and a different way of marketing the players. And she listened to them and, and was able to put them in a different light. And I know that Yasiel for years has been the veteran of, you know, like the let the kids play type of, you know, mentality where you think of that, you think of Yasiel because you know that he was a, a, a like a child on the field. He enjoyed baseball and he enjoys baseball fully, passionately. Um, 
and, you know, flip the bats, lick the bats, everything that he did. So I thought that Rachel and her team were, would be somebody that would be people that would fit with Yasiel. And so I started looking at Rachel um, in the beginning of last year, I reached out to her uh, and I said, you know, I, I really like what you're doing. Let me know a little bit more about how you're doing it. So we had a meeting and then uh, I started, you know, talking to Yasiel about Rachel. I said, you know, there's a woman that's doing things a little bit differently. And I, and I kind of like, you know, what she's doing. And I, and I want you to look at her and I want you to think about this for a second. And, and at one point he just said to me, well, why aren't you my agent? You already know me better than anyone and you've already do everything for me. So why aren't you, why aren't you my agent? So at the end of the day, he ended up making Rachel and myself his agent. And, um, and it worked out because Rachel really wanted, she, you know, we, when we met each other, it's almost like me seeing myself in a, in a younger version. You know, she's fire and she uh, has a lot of really great ideas. And so far as, you know, what she wants to do with herself, she knows who she is. Um, and I loved everything about her. And I think that she felt the same way she can come to me and she, she knows I have a, a wealth of information and experience. So she relies on me in, in that sense too. And um, when we met each other, then we just decided, okay, you know, let, let's build on this, let's build Luba. And that's how that happened. So it was really, it was really great. And I think I went away from Mexico and, and what you wanted to find out about Mexico. Yeah, but that's okay. Before you answer that question, mm -hmm. I just have to put two examples out there about the, uh, what you talked about with assimilation with Yasiel. So just two quick stories from, from my experience. So um, one, a player um, coming from the Dominican Republic, he had only ever been on a bus and he was trying to meet up with the minor league system and to get from the Dominican to where he was going, he had three connections and spent an entire weekend in an airport got lost in an airport, missed the team in the right city, had to get um, rebooked on different flights, finally met up with them, you know, three days later. And I remember talking with, um, with the woman in, in the DR about this specific example and this player. And she said, Emily, he's never been on a plane before. And we sent him with a ticket in a bag and told him to get to this city. And it was like the most eye-opening conversation that I had ever had about, you know, a young up-and-coming baseball player and what it meant to come from another country and come play in the United States. And so that really opened my mind and honestly my heart to to these players and what they go through in this crazy life of baseball from growth through the minors to their major league debut. And Speaking of a major league debut, that's the, the second story. So a player I know made a major league debut um, and, you know, had a wonderful showing like the moment of a lifetime. And as is the carousel with AAA was back down in AAA, um, you know, a few weeks later. And I was talking to him about um, his experience and um, how incredible it was. And he still had in his pocket a six figure check that he was looking to cash because he didn't have the bank account systems set up to handle his big payday. And I just thought, you know, man, like as a mom, I think also, you know, to really resonate with you on that, I thought like, I just want to put this guy in my car right now and take him and, and get all these things set up. But, you know, we've got to think about these guys beyond 
the action of the field and really take care of that whole person to your point. So, you know, I want to ask you about Yasiel's contract, but I also just wanted to share those stories, like from my, my perspective too, for our listeners that about what these guys go through and how important it is to support our athletes. I mean, what you said, that's exactly what happens to every player that comes from a different country. Um, they are viewed as sort of almost like machines. They, we forget that they're human beings. We forget that, that it's important to, you know, what do we know about children right now? We know that if we attend to their whole being, you know, spiritually, uh, nutritionally, you know, every everything about that has to do with the child, the village, right? We know that if we take care of the village and, and, and about the whole child, the, the child has much more benefit and, and, and much many more chances of being successful. So why don't we transfer that and understand that that's what happens with these athletes that come over. It's so important um, that the athletes find somebody that is able to guide them, is able to be there with them, is able to tell them, look, this is the way that it works here. They can't just figure it out by osmosis. You can't expect them to do so. So then what happens when uh, an athlete like Yasiel Pui comes and he's expected to be this big star, literally came from maybe earning $14 an hour to earning $40 million. Um, you think that money is going to solve everything? No, it's not. He's not going to know how things work. He still doesn't. I mean, it's been like, uh, he came in, I think, 2012, 2013. Um, it's not even been 10 years. And he still has some issues with knowing how, you know, like how to, how to say certain things, how, how to make it come across, you know, where what he's asking for is, you know, is not viewed as, as something that's bad. And it's not. There's so many things that uh, he says. I remember specifically one time when he was with the Dodgers, he had said, oh, he had said they had uh, translated it as such that he, the newspaper said that he said, oh, I, I haven't worked hard because now is going to, now is my, my free agency is coming now or something to this effect. My free agency is coming now. So now I'm going to work hard. I wasn't working hard at all when I was with the Dodgers. That is absolutely not what he said. <laughs> what he meant, what, what he said with what he was saying in Spanish translated completely different. And what he was saying was I've given him hundred percent. Now I have to give 110%. That's the difference of what he was saying, but it was taken so badly and it was so horrible that we couldn't like, it was like we had to go through all the media and try and fix it. And it was just, it was, it was impossible. And that is, that's a kind of uh, sort of odds that he's been against uh, from the beginning. And uh, he's an easy target too. You know, they, they are, they are all easy targets. Um, can you imagine that young man with a hundred thousand dollar check or, you know, that six figure check that he had in his pocket? Tell me that that's not a target. They are all targets because they know people who are here who are savvy. I call them the pirate, you know, I don't want to say, it, <laughs> but I, I have a term for them in, in Spanish um, that are savvy, uh, take advantage of these young players. Um, and, 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 and it's sad. It's sad to see. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I resonate with that so much. And, you know, now Yasiel is, is in Mexico, you know, for you, you were able to take that and get him the largest ever single season contract in the Mexican league. So, right. Yeah. Let, you know, here's the thing, going back to how you look at a player as a whole person. So you look at this player who's, you know, who's now facing, you know, these, he's obviously he's, his, he has a situation with civil court right now where someone is suing him for an alleged circumstance, right? And 
you have these these players that are just you know dollar signs to a lot of people and it's easy to uh, you know to to sort of you know take advantage of certain situations um and he's going through this right now he's the first time that he's really going through something like this in the court system uh he was told you know by his attorneys don't speak out don't say anything his first set of attorneys and so he listened you know and he was like okay i'm not going to say anything i'm just going to do whatever they tell me he doesn't know how it works he doesn't know that the legal system it takes a while especially in COVID times you know courts were closed um the system is backed up so all whatever he thought that was going to take, you know, maybe it'll take a month or so to, to sort of, you know, clear it out. Um, he's realizing that it's going to take a long time for him to be in court in front of a judge and for this to be heard out. And so he was really um, desperate to be able to get, you know, his word out and to say, you know, his side of the story. Um, you know, there are certain constraints that he has, obviously, because this is going through the legal system. And so we have to adhere to that. But watching him go through that and, and knowing, first of all, I'm glad that you, 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 know, you had sort of led me this way, because a lot of people wonder, you know, how could you represent oh, somebody who possibly, you know, committed this or did something like this? I know Yasiel Puig in and out. I've been with him for the last four and a half years. Um, I speak to him daily. It's almost, he's almost like another son to me. Um, I know what he is like with women. Uh, I know about his character. I know the, his flaws. I know his, his good parts. I know his heart. I know his being and I know his soul. And I know a hundred percent that I can stand by him through this and know that I am doing the right thing. Um, he is absolutely a kind human being. He obviously you know, makes mistakes because he's, you know, his, his, he's never been taught anything different. And he's, I'm sort of with me now, um, you know, I'm, I'm teaching him a lot of the cultural assimilation that should have been taught to him back when he came in 2013. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, what, how do you do that? Emily, have, when you, when you're with your kids, it takes you a long time to teach your kids what's right and wrong, right? It takes you a long, a long time to teach your kids. This is how you do it here. This is what's acceptable. This is what's not acceptable. This is how this looks if you don't do it this way. So it's a lot to, to, it takes a lot to teach a child. Now you bring me a whole man <laughs> who is has been the superstar and then we have to all of a sudden go back and say okay yes yeah, let's let's start from the beginning this is how this works this is how this is seen here it's not seen like this in, in in my country in our country as a matter of fact in cuba and i say our country even though i was born in miami my parents were from cuba and uh, i've gone back to cuba with yesel to do a lot of um charity work and let me tell you, Cuba is amazing because when you step out into Cuba, if you ever feel badly about how you feel <laughs> as a woman, go to Cuba land and the, you're going to, your like self-esteem is going to shoot to like cosmic levels because they are just different how they, how they treat you, how, you know, how they make you feel women and men. So it's just a very, remember, it's an island that has never been outside of itself. So their culture is completely enclosed and it's like you brought Yasiel over here from there. And so he is the language barrier, the social barrier. There's so many things that he's having to learn all at once. And it's, um, and it's super important. And I think it was, it was timely, the fact that Rachel and I came into his life this way. And we were able to now guide him. And getting him into Mexico, um, you know, it was easy to get Yasiel to Mexico because he would have gone to play baseball for a cracker dog box. Okay. It's not, a lot of people are having this misunderstanding about him about, oh, he wants a lot of money. You know, Yasiel obviously is, is doing well because, you know, 
he he did investments and he will always be well off because of you know the situation of what happened with the Dodgers. He he was graced with with that and he was graced with good financial managers. And so that that has worked out for him. But the love of baseball, the love that that man has for the game, there is literally not, he just called me this morning to ask me to buy bats for all of his teammates. He's like, oh, these bats aren't good enough. I need you to buy bats for all my teammates. And, and it's just, he, he literally wants to like by osmosis, you get the love of the game through him. If you're next to him and you're on a field, you can't help but love baseball because he loves it with a passion. It's like, he's like, he, he's like a child. He's like a, it's like it's amazing just the, the the you see it and that's what people see the fans see through the tv and that's why they love to, to watch Yasiel Puig play because they could feel it with their heart they could feel it um that he you know really just loves the game and when I uh when we Rachel was really insistent about getting him to play in Mexico because obviously there were issues here with getting him to play in the United States um a lot of the teams probably didn't feel comfortable with you know the fact that he had this issue um and just until lately, he was able to release his own statement. Uh, and goodness sake, you know, that that now people are starting to see the reality of the situation. And so things are, are changing a little bit. But he was not uh, because of that situation. I think that teams might have some teams might have felt uncomfortable. And um, so we had to make a decision. And Rachel said, you know, we really need to send him to Mexico. And um, she relies on me a lot um, because she knows that I could sit down and I could talk to him in a way that no one else can. So I sat down with him and I talked to him and I said, look, you know, this is this is a way of us being able to continue to play baseball until you are able to resolve all the issues that you have and you're able to come back to the game. And so he didn't really think twice about it. He's like, let's go. Where am I going? <laughs> so it then became up to me. Then here you go, mom again. I know his value. I know what he's going to bring to a team. I know he's been in most postseasons than any other player. I know that uh, I know the spark that he he adds and not to mention the marketing value, right, that he can bring to a team. So I wasn't going to sell him for a Cracker Jack box. So I needed to to discuss this with several teams. And we did. And several teams were, um, you know, they they realized that his value and and we were lucky enough to be able to get a lot of sponsorships and a lot of things that added on to the deal that went to Mexico. You guys, we have a new website, leadershipisfemale.com. Please visit us and know that we are here to help get you to the top faster. Are you a career female looking for an edge? Are you looking for answers on how you can level up? Our purpose is to bring interviews with female leaders in sports each week through this podcast, Leadership is Female, so you can uncover opportunities, hear tips to elevate your career, learn from our mistakes and successes so that you can get to the top faster. We're giving you all the advice we know now that we wish we knew then. We're extending a hand back to lead you forward. Let's go. Visit leadershipisfemale.com. Join our newsletter. Check out all the episodes of the podcast and stay tuned for more resources to lead you forward. Leadershipisfemale.com. Hey, leaders, let me be blunt. Sometimes in order to level up, you've got to get a new job. Because of this awesome community we have created here for engaged sports professionals and leaders in adjacent industries, opportunities are floating to this community. Do you want to hear about them? I want to share these new opportunities with you. 
Recently, I've included listings of available jobs in our newsletter and will continue to do so. If you aren't on that newsletter list, you can add your email at leadershipisfemale.com. And if you are hiring, email me at my personal email, emilyjansen at gmail.com, so that I can share your open role. If we want to continue to add diverse, talented leaders to our businesses, we have to look for new ways to recruit this diverse talent. 80% of our listeners on the Leadership is Female podcast are women. Find your next great hire here. Let's go. Yeah. And my next question was about you and the savvy negotiator that you are. But just in your last minute of explanation about his worth, I was like already sold and convinced. Um, So lay out those tips. What are three tips in, in negotiation, that confidence piece, that belief, like how do you put that all together? Emily, if you don't believe in your, in your product, first of all, you don't believe in your product and you don't have passion about your product, whatever that is, whether it's your job or whatever, whatever that is, you're not going to sell. That's number one. Number one is the passion and the belief and the, in the belief in the worth of your product or whoever it is that you're representing, right? So that's easy for me. I know I could sell Yassiel day in and day out because Yassiel, I know who he is. He's an amazing, strong player who's who's incredibly valuable um, to the clubhouses that he's with because he brings that spark of winning. He brings that, you know, he's the guy who's always pumping up the rest of his teammates and saying, make sure like, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to bring, we got to rally. So he's that. And uh, also the marketing value that he has. So yes, absolutely. You have to be passionate about, what it is that you're doing, what it is that you're selling. You have to know your product very well. On top of that, you have to also, it helps to be empathetic. I think now uh, there's two other things. You have to be empathetic and you have to be fearless. Empathetic um, because you have to know what it is that you're, the person that you're selling to, what, it is, what is it that they need? What is it that they require? You have to go from that um, mentality and when you're sitting with them and you have to say, okay, what is it that you need and how can I help you fill that need? That's super important. A lot of people, when they sell, they think, okay, I'm going to sell this product because this is the best product. And everybody has to understand that that's the best product. No, what you have to understand is that that product has to fit people's needs. So by understanding the people that you're with, by being empathetic um, with the people that you are dealing with, um, being in their shoes, knowing exactly how their circumstance, what their circumstances are and how you could help them, their circumstances, that is going to make you a better salesperson. The last thing is fearlessness. Um, I, for some reason, after I turned 50, became absolutely fearless. Nothing scares me. I think, uh, you know, at this age, it's, it's, uh, you go through so much in life, you know, you go through so much loss, um, you go through so much heartache, uh, throw me so many scares, right? When you have kids, you, you, so many scares, um, that, that, you know, you just, you, you toughen up and, and you start realizing what's really, what really matters at the end of the day. What's going to really matter at the end of the day that somebody talks about me or somebody says something bad about me, or is it going to be that I am able to bring my full authentic self every day um, and be able to look at myself in the mirror that, you know, the next day, that's, what's important to me. And, um, and I think you learn that after a certain age. And I, when I talk to Rachel, I always give her um, advice about, you know, Hey, you know, there are a lot of people that shoot her down um, because she's doing things differently because I, uh, as a woman, it's hard but 
what I've seen in my life and in my particular experience, I've seen that the people who have been most against shooting or most against me or have tried to shoot me down the most have been other women. Um, and it's been so difficult for me. I have, I have girls. And the only thing I've ever wanted was to build myself up so that I could open doors for my own children. So I could build myself up so that they would be proud of me. Um, that's super important to me. Um, I've never really wanted to shine so that I could, you know, look at me, I'm shining. I wanted to shine for, for my own reasons. And, you know, and, and these are my reasons. And my reasons are very powerful. They're my kids and my family. And so every time I've won, it's because, do you doubt? It's the love I have for my kids. Nothing's going to beat that. And so um, when I see Rachel go through the things that I see her go through, and sometimes it's, uh, it's other females in our, in, in our own industry that, is, uh, that are, you know, being um, hard with her. I have to ask this question, you know, wh why? Why, why, are, why do we do this to each other? We are already battling in, in industries that, you know, didn't accept us years ago. Um, we are already navigating waters where we were not expected to, to be swimming in. When another woman battles against us, it makes our gender go sideways. It doesn't let us advance. So it's important um, to, that's why I, I fall in love with her because literally she, out of all the agents and out of everyone that I talked to, it, Rachel was the one who said, Lisette, come here. We're going to, I'm going to open up a division and it's, and you're going to head the division. She's the one who opened that up for me. I have not met many females that have done that. And it, that is absolutely sad because if more females did that, and if we, you know, right now, the, I have a network of females that I'm absolutely bringing up with me, um, whether it's in marketing, whether they're journalists, whether, you know, it, it, life coaches, an absolute network of women that I go to right now. And I said, you're coming with me wherever I go here, you come. And I open up doors for them uh, every time that I can, because why? Because no one did it for me. And it, I'm not going to pay it back the same way. I'm not going to go and I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to, because I was able to get this for myself, I'm not going to help any other women. No, we need to break that. We need to change that, that mentality and start helping every other woman that we, that are, that is in our, in our path. Um, remember, you know, Hey, I have this friend that does this connect them with the other, you know, person that will help them rise because when they rise, you will rise. And that is just the way that it works. I really, really hope to see that change come soon. And, uh, and I can't see it come soon enough. I, I mean, I'm like speechless over here. So many amazing things that you said, and you finished it up with when they rise, you rise. That's right. And I think that's so, it's so beautiful. And the, the whole premise of this podcast, Leadership is Female, is to elevate female voices so that we can lead her forward. And every single woman, I'm over 40 interviews in, every single woman has said, someone better reach out to me after hearing this episode so that I can help you. Every single right. one. So it exists. Find those women in make the effort, reach out. How can you help them? If you're young, trust me, we want to hear from you just as much as I want to hear from somebody more seasoned than myself, because I need to learn how to be a better leader or what the next generation needs in their career. And from those that came before me, you know, there's so much wisdom to pass down. And, you know, I'm a sponge. I hope 
everyone else is too. And, and creating this culture of women supporting women is the best way that we can make progress. And trust me, like social media is your best friend and your worst enemy. And I cannot believe some of the things that I read women saying to each other. It's heartbreaking to be honest, especially when you know that person and you know how hard they're trying or how hard they're working. Like you mentioned, Rachel, who I think the world of, and when I see somebody say something poorly about her, I it's, I'm instantly so angry because she's trying so hard. She's lifting people up. She's trying new things. You know, it's, it's, it's like, why would we be our own worst enemy? You know, like, Emily, we're all trying and, and, and we're always all trying. No one's ever perfect. Um, and, and, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm 53 going on 54. I look to Rachel um, to, you know, it's funny because Rachel's like, you know, no one knows you. you, you need to be known. And I come from the generation where my father told me the reason you're going to be successful is because no one's going to see you coming. And he was right in a lot of ways. No one ever saw me coming and they still don't <laughs> for them, but they still don't. And, uh, and, and in a way that let me gain a lot of, a lot of speed because uh, I was going under the radar and that's, you know, how I was taught to be during my generation, because you couldn't be a woman and have this voice. You couldn't be a woman and have this idea. You couldn't be a woman. And, and people constantly, you know, throughout my life, you know, trying to figure out like, how does she do that? How does she do that? And they could never figure it out. And that is because I've been stealth. I've been completely stealth about, you know, how I've managed to do all of the things that I've been able to do. And Rachel comes along and says, no, you have to become, you know, this person where you're going to have to start being in the forefront. I was like, okay, you know, kicking and screaming. I'm not happy about it, but I'm realizing, yeah, I have to be on social media. And I think, you know, social media is a dual, uh, dual edged sword. Um, the only difference is I, uh, I don't, I have thick enough skin. I don't let it bother me. And I, I, I come from this mentality of, of if somebody is criticizing me or criticizing the people that I'm with, what is their problem? Like what, not, not, not necessarily is a bad thing, but wh where are they coming from? Where are they at? What are they missing in their life? What are they fearful of? What is it in me that is creating fear in you? Because that's the only way that you're going to criticize me. I, 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 I live not criticizing anyone. I've learned that um, you don't spit up, you know, I, 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 Rachel laughs because I have a lot of cultural uh, sayings. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that, you know, we say in our culture is don't spit up because it comes back in your face. Right. And um, so I live through that. And I, I try never to, I try and always put myself in the position of someone else. Where are they coming from? What is it that they're living through right now um, that they have to be mean spirited or have to feel fear, feel fearful of what it is that I'm doing or the path that I'm walking. Because I know every day that I walk my path, I'm walking it for me and for my kids. I'm not walking it for anyone else. I'm not hurting anyone else when I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and the thing is, Rachel and I were having a conversation this morning about something very similar. And I told her, Rachel, you know, um, when I told her, when women do this to each other, you know, we we're actually our gender goes sideways when we when we when we hurt each other, but I but I told her, Rachel, there's so many things that we have to to do to help other people, um, you know, change this path that we're in, and um, and I 
I love the, the relationship that I had with her because she listens to me. I listen to her and it's sort of like a, a very helpful and fruitful, fruitful relationship because we're, we're holding each other's hand going through this and navigating this. And, and that's, what's important. You have to understand that you have to know where, where a person's coming from. Uh, and your, your empathy, first of all, and then your focus on your goal shows through in, in everything that you do. And Right now, you are building a young, steady roster of Latino talent. Give us a peek inside the day-to-day. How does client procurement work for you? And why do players continue to choose you? You know, it's, um, I never thought, I thought, well, yes, is going to be my only client. Who's ever going to want to be with this person? I'd never thought in my life that, um, all these players would be reaching out. And the funny thing about it is I think that um, they see the fact that they can sit down and they can talk to me. They see that I'm intelligent about, you know, you know, how to help them in their goals and their career. They see that I could see their goals clearly when they discuss them with me and I'm able to connect um, the next point for them. Um, where we could say, look, you know, what, what do you need help? And do you need help in running? Let's go look for this. Do you need help? You know, what is it that you need help in? Again, going back to being empathetic about what the person needs. So I think the athletes see that. Um, obviously, they see that I'm handling, you know, the wild horse, um, which is, you know, Emily says that I'm the for Emily uh, Reza says that I'm the force behind the wild horse, right? Um, and it's true, absolutely. If I can handle a player like Yasiel Puig, I could probably handle any, anybody, right? And that's what they're thinking, and that's what they come and they usually say that they're like, "Oh, if you can handle Yasiel, I think you can you can take care of me." And and they see the different they see the different connections that I have as well, and they know that um, Rachel does a lot of work that is uh, very unique in the industry, and so they are um, attracted to that. And that is how that happens. They come to us. Um, they, I mean, we're daily. Um, I mean, there's dozens of players that reach out to us daily. And then we go through and we see which players we're able to help um, consistently. Even just right now, I got a hold of some, a, a football player got a hold of me and said, please, you know, can you please represent me? I said, I can't, I don't, I don't do football, but I have, I have a female who does. <laughs> so he sent me his information and that's, that's the way you work. Um, you work that way and, and you continue to bring out the best in yourself and in the player. And they see that your work, your work speaks for itself when you're passionate about it. Yeah, it does. It certainly does. And, and tell us a little bit about the foundation, whether it's, it's Yasiel Puig's Wild Horse Children's Foundation, or just athletes in general, what impact do you think they can have if they have a steadfast mission and get the right support that they can have this larger impact beyond sports on society? You know, Emily, um, when you uh, are given the blessing of being able to be in a certain platform, I think it's certain it's it's certainly important to be able to do something good with that. I think it's important for the spirit, for the person, and for the community. It's um, to see Estiel and what he was able to do in the community throughout all these years, the community in Los Angeles, the community in Cincinnati, the community. Um, in Ohio, in New York, in Florida, uh, internationally, Santo Domingo, uh, Cuba, has been absolutely amazing to watch. And um, to be able to have the 
grace to help others, I think it's the, the most rewarding thing that a person, a human being can do. And um, a lot of the athletes, especially the athletes that are able to, a lot of people are, are misguided. They think that athletes start these uh, foundations, oh, just for tax purposes or that, you know, they, they're just to, for their image. And that's absolutely not true. Um, Yasiel, for example, uh, during this COVID time has maintained the charity out of his own pocket. Um, so it is, it, and it, it has been of no benefit to him and of every benefit to everyone who he, who he reached out to during, during COVID time. So it's, it's something that is, um, it's born out of wanting to do good. And I think that it's something that more athletes should look into. Um, creating foundations, that's something that's my forte. Um, I'm able to, um, help the athlete with uh, any charity endeavors that, that, that the athlete may have. And also another thing that we do, we're also gearing to do at, at Luba Sports is to see the athlete through to post-retirement. So what is the athlete going to do after they retire? And this is because Mama Lisette <laughs> worries a lot about these athletes and they, you know, there's only a window of being able to play baseball, right? Because you have, you can't be 70 years old playing baseball. So a lot of the, you know, what happens when you are young and you are in your career, you think it's never going to end, right? You think you're never going to get old. You think your knees are never going to hurt. You think that a lot of things might not happen. And then you certainly don't think of ever getting injured, right? Um, because you're, you're not thinking that much into the future. You're just living the moment. So it's important for these young athletes to know that there has to be some sort of post-retirement strategy. So that's one of the things that we do, even with our younger players. We're like, okay, where do you want to be? And where do you see yourself in 10 years? Where do you see yourself in 20 years? Where do you, what do you like to do? What's your backup? plan what are you good at so we start to get to know the players and then we start putting them in situations and we start developing programs where they are able to excel not only on the field but off the field as well I love that um I mean talk about full circle you know from from contract to management to assimilation to the things that they want to do beyond the field to then post-retirement I mean you're taking care of that athlete from start to finish of that career. And boy, I can't even imagine the number of, of athletes that need, want, and could find so much value in that type of representation. And I just, I love what you guys are doing. And so with that, I got to ask you about women. We've talked a little bit about women, but what is your best piece of advice for a woman to implement today in order to level up tomorrow? You know, um, the biggest piece of advice, and it's the same advice I give my kids, um, get rid of the fear. The fear is what stops you. It just stops you. You're fearful of what people will say. You're, you're fear, fearful of, of, of failing. You're fearful of, um, of not belonging. You're fearful of being bullied you're fearful of all of those things will stop you. Just drop the fear. The day that I dropped the fear was actually, I think that there are so many things that happened to me. It was a series of, of events. I, you know, I, I, I touched upon one of them earlier uh, about what happened about that letter that I was made to write, right? That apology letter that I was made to write. Those kind of things happened to me so much in my life that I got to a point where, you know, you, you get kicked, you get kicked, you get kicked. And um, then you got to figure out, am I just going to get kicked and stay down or am I going to start running, you know, get out of this hole that they're, they're trying to pigeonhole, pigeonhole me in. 
and am I going to get out of here? I get out of here. You have to realize that it's only yourself that you have to count on. No one's going to, you know, come in and opportunity is not going to come knocking at your door saying, hey, I'm opportunity here. Come get me. You know, you have to make your opportunities. You have to meet people. You have to get out there. You have to talk. You have to make friends. Uh, there are plenty of people who are in your same situation. You have to be authentic. Be you. Be absolutely you. Don't be afraid of everything that made you who you are. All of your failures, all of your uh, flaws, everything that you know comes with you in your package. Don't be afraid to show that to people because you're going to resonate with people. A lot of people uh, hide those flaws and those failures and you know the Instagram, right? The Instagram picture, you know, the best picture in the world, and um, and they don't. Uh, they're hiding all of this inside of them. But when you meet those people, you're going to resonate with those people because those people are going to say, hey, she's just like me. And that is how you're going to find uh, doors opening and, uh, and, and things happening. And always, you know, my other, other thing that I always uh, tell my kids is, you know, do good because whatever good you do comes back threefold, right? You have, I don't know if, I think that's like from a Bible quote, but um, just do good. And it's going to come back to you. The universe is going to is going to work and conspire in your favor when you just do things for without looking for anything in return. Um, for example, I have this young athlete that is Yasiel's friend. His name is Maleta. He's there in Mexico with him. I was able to get him a spring training invite, right? And I just got a call from a scout, an MLB scout, for this young man that's there and 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 asking questions about that young man. I he had no idea I was going to get him that spring training contract. No idea. He had no idea. I was watching him from afar. I know that he was trying, doing, doing his best, you know, hanging out with Yasiel, practicing with Yasiel, doing the things that he can do. He would ask me for advice and he never once asked me for anything, but I gave him that because I knew that he deserved it. He worked hard enough for that. Not with, not me thinking that I was going to get some contract in return. I did it because this kid deserved that. And I had the access to get it for him. I had that ability to give it to him. It was costing me nothing and they were giving me nothing, but it might make a change in this man's life. That's how you always have to behave, behave from the good, you know, the good in you always give that out, give the best out without expecting anything in return. And I promise you, the universe is going to conspire in your favor. So many amazing contributions in this conversation today. I I cannot thank you enough for being a part of this podcast. Will you leave us with your favorite quote, even though I may have written down probably 20 (laughs) that you dropped uh, throughout the episode? I think it's, um, I think it's Glennon Doyle. And I think it's the, it's the part that she wrote that says, uh, I live on fire. I'm fireproof. And that is absolutely me every day, every day. I'm not There's nothing that can happen that I can't handle. I'm that person. I am that matriarch. I'm that woman that you can, you can count on. You know, we are, we're all that woman you can count on who isn't, you know, every single woman that has been through everything that they've gone through is that fireproof woman, because there is nothing that we can't face with grace and dignity and change it the way we want to change. We, we can change that story. And, um, and that's, that's who I am. And that's who I think uh, every woman is. We're fireproof. Lissette, you have lit a fire in me. You have inspired me so much today. I wish I could reach through the camera <laughs> and just give you a big hug. This has been amazing. Where can we follow you and how can we stay in touch? 
Well, um, Lisette Carnett uh, on Instagram, Lisette Carnett on Twitter, Lisette Carnett on Facebook, and agent at lisettecarnett.com if you want to reach out to me. Also through Luba, you could always reach me through Luba Sports. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. All right, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, behave from the good in you. Always do good. It will come back threefold. Number two, ask yourself, am I going to get kicked and stay down or am I going to get up and run? Number three, three keys to negotiation. First, have an unwavering passion and belief in your product. Second, be empathetic to what does the person you are selling to need. And third, be fearless. Number four, on fearlessness, Lisette's best advice is to drop the fear. Toughen up. What really matters in the end, you gave your all and your whole authentic self. Hey leaders, if you want to be in for a treat, definitely subscribe to this show if you have not done so already because we have so many amazing episodes coming up. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, wherever you listen so you don't miss out. And if you leave us a review or post about me or tag Leadership is Female on your Instagram stories to talk about the show, we'll enter you into a giveaway. We're giving away something every single month. Some of my favorite things from my favorite work bag to my favorite sunglasses. Make sure that you spread the word and we will reward you for that. I'll also send you a personal thank you note and repost your comments and reviews. Last thing, did this episode bring you any insights, ideas, aha moments, anything you are inspired by? If so, take one second and share the link, post about it on your Instagram, text your friend, email, so many ways to share leadership is female. And if you do post about this show, again, don't forget to tag at Leadership is Female or at Emily Jansen or my awesome guest today, because knowing that this conversation made a difference for you means the world to us and we love to see it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.